Hello, I'm Dr. Annalene Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. In this edition, we focus on the important issue of practice selection, because it's critically important we work in the right environment for us as individuals. Consequently, at Dental Protection, we often get asked what are the most important issues to consider when someone's looking at joining a practice. So over to you, Simon. Thanks, Annalene. It's a great question. On one level, you might think that the answer to this question should be obvious. We generally know what makes us happy in a number of different areas of our lives. We seem to have a lot of control over what we do socially with our friends and our families, what hobbies and interests we pursue, the decisions we make about where we want to live or go on holiday, what we like to eat, and so on. I doubt that many of our listeners would want to be unhappy where they work day in and day out, and I'm not surprised that so many of our colleagues want to get this decision right as well. We spend so much of our waking hours working that it's really critical that we are happy wherever it is that we choose to work. We've all spent countless years earning our qualifications and seeking to build a successful professional career. For some of us, issues of status and professional recognition are paramount. For others, university debts, the baggage of personal relationships that have failed, or just the need for a change can be driving us to seek new horizons within our work. Yes, it can. And yet, too often we hear stories of practice staff and not just clinicians desperately waiting for a better opportunity to arise so they can move on from a miserable or unfulfilling workplace. We do. And often they've come to a realisation that their current workplace isn't what they've been looking for professionally. It's sad to know that many of these same people are simply marking time, hopeful that something better is around the corner and it's fair to say that sometimes a better alternative may take months or even years to make itself known, if at all. We can worry that maybe the grass won't be greener at the next practice we work at too. In the meantime, we can feel angry, frustrated, dejected and disillusioned with our careers. And some of us may find these issues contributing to feelings of being burnt out, while others may experience workplace friction or even vexatious behaviour such as being the subject of a notification to APRA by another person at the practice. It can leave us exposed to professional and legal risk. Therefore, it is so important to get our choice of practice right, so that there is a good fit with our own professional aspirations, our ethics, our financial expectations, achieving a work-life balance, just to name a few issues. Mm. Would it be fair to say, Simon, that we usually know roughly what we want when we're joining a practice, and yet it may be sometimes that we found ourselves in a practice that doesn't deliver? I think that would be a fair statement, yes. Yeah, why do you think that is? I'm sure there's plenty of reasons why a person can find themselves caught in a practice that isn't the right professional fit for them, but two main ones come to my mind right now. The first is when a person is desperate for work. And so they choose to accept a position at a practice where they know from the outset that there's actually very many compromises in place, but they're prepared to overlook them. 
Perhaps they do this with good intentions, hoping to implement improvements and changes to address those shortcomings while they're working there, or perhaps they're just in need of work. In my own experience and from talking with others, I see working at a practice as being a bit like a marriage. You work so closely with staff that you really get to know them and the workplace environment really impacts on your view of yourself and the view of that you have of the professional world, helping to define who you are. Just as in a marriage, where it is often said that you can't rely on being able to change your partner, many health professionals, especially those new to the industry, find that such changes are impossible to make. What they identified at the time of interview as problematic issues such as maybe a poor record system or the gap-free fee structures to attract new patients or poorly trained staff, prove to be increasingly frustrating and sometimes quite dangerous. As the newest person at the practice, often without any real authority, it can be difficult to be heard. Some of us resort to keeping our frustrations to ourselves once our good ideas for improvements are ignored and then we become increasingly frustrated and disillusioned. What's the second then? The second is when a change of ownership and or even a, a change in the direction of a practice occurs. Suddenly the new owners want to implement a new ethos at the practice to make their own mark on it, often to increase profitability or modernity. Or the practice has decided it wants to focus on a broad range of procedures in order to compete with new practices that have opened in that particular area. This can mean that the practice where someone has been happily working becomes different in lots of small ways or maybe lots of big ways too, without the clinician having any real buy-in to those changes. I'd argue that sometimes this may be a form of redundancy by stealth, where the new owners deliberately try to disenfranchise the old guard, hopeful that this will cause them to resign so they can actually then get some new people in who are more like-minded to what their mindset happens to be. Mm, I can see that. So if our usual thought processes aren't helping us to assess the practice, what could we consider instead? Well, I think this is going to be somewhat of an individual matter for any clinician. But broadly speaking, I do see five key areas that need to be right in order for someone to be happy in a practice long term. Let me explain. The first is culture. You can define culture a whole number of different ways, but I like the simple definition of it being the way we do things around here. Culture is in many ways the unwritten playbook, the assumptions that guide what you do without you really expending too much energy or thought on it. It fits with the practice's overall way of operating, how they treat their staff and their patients, and all the many and varied intangible aspects that define a workplace. So if you work in a practice where the culture is supportive, focused on getting things right and keeping patients well looked after and happy, then if you're not at the practice today and your patient comes in with the composite you did last week being chipped or rough, you can know that one of your colleagues will sort it at no cost to you or the patient, typically, and that next time if it happens, you'll also reciprocate. It's not a big deal. Yet some practice environments don't reflect this culture at all, instead adopting one that promotes blame, 
criticism or disaffection, saying to the patient something like, well, sorry, but you'll have to speak to Simon about that when he's in next, as you're his patient. I feel you want to work in a practice that has a can-do, collaborative, supportive and learning culture, one that promotes the notion of striving to do better and to excel, one that might be inclusive of people of different backgrounds, that is family-friendly, that is not so busy that you never get the time to have a quick chat over a coffee with your peers. Yeah, because of course the people make and reflect the culture, don't they, Simon? It's always nice to work in an environment where you feel supported and on at least friendly terms. It is. So what's the second factor then, Simon? The second is ethics. This can tie closely to culture, but arguably is a little bit different. It's really the set of professional rules by which the practice abides. Does the practice promote honesty in diagnosis, treatment planning and billing? Is there evidence of open disclosure to patients when something happens to go wrong? Or do mistakes get swept under the carpet just to be hidden and hopefully to be gotten away with? Do people have integrity, in other words? Is the practice patient-centred or money-centred? I guess there is a third factor, though, too, while we're on that topic, and that's quality systems. Is the practice accredited? Is this a certificate, a piece of paper on the wall, or does the practice really seek to do everything well, aspiring to best practice standards? Is there a focus on training? Are there incident forms and immunisation register, copies of the Australian standards on infection control in the steri area? All these attributes provide any staff member with greater confidence that the workplace is safe and that quality is seen not as an optional extra, but rather an intrinsic part of the way the practice is run. Quality systems would in some ways be quite an easy one to assess with a glance of an eye, wouldn't it? By looking at the sterilisation room, for example, or asking whether practice manuals are kept. It would, as would be my fourth area, the practice environment. Ask yourself, how does the practice present? Is it clean, relatively modern and airy, spacious and well-maintained? Are the surgeries ergonomically designed so that you're less likely to end up with a sore back each day? If you're left-handed like me, are the surgery layouts ambidextrous or at least be able to be adapted to be so? Do the everyday items function well? Because every dentist I know absolutely hates it if the high-speed handpiece fibre optics don't work or the ultrasonic scalar tips are blunt and worn so that they're really only useful to burnish calculus rather than remove it. These are everyday issues that really impact on whether you or I can effectively do our jobs. I've had the unfortunate experience of needing to remove a very, very stubborn wisdom tooth for a patient only to realise that the only elevators in the practice I was working at were a left Warwick James and a right Cryer. I eventually got the tooth out, but it posed a lot more risk to me of procedural error and obviously a lot more risk to my patient that I could harm her. And I found it really frustrating. We need a comfortable, safe, well-resourced workplace with good staff and equipment that work, including the practice management software, or we simply won't enjoy our work. It's that simple. Finally, 
almost all of us go to work to earn a living. So will the practice be able to deliver on this too? Is it busy enough so that you can do quality dentistry and not be bored or have half days cancelled due to a lack of patience? Does the practice owner expect you to build the practice? If so, and the marketing of the practice has failed so far, or the practice is in a new area, or otherwise maybe in an older area with many competitors that have moved in, then this may be easier said than done. In my view, you'd want to inquire closely about why the practice is quiet before being willing to accept such a role. Most people expect a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. Will the new practice guarantee this, or are they seeming to exploit new recruits? I'd recommend you steer clear of any practice that from the outset is either promoting an unfair remuneration structure or is promoting the pursuit of unethical procedures and services in order to ensure adequate remuneration for its clinicians. Mm, Absolutely. Now, that's already a pretty comprehensive list, Simon. But if there was one other thing you'd want to see before joining a practice, what would it be? It'd definitely be how much I like the people, Annalene. Did I find them warm and friendly? Are they my type of person? What are the patients like? These people factors are really hard to define, but ultimately, we are highly skilled people working with other highly skilled people, providing services to often highly demanding people. These people factors can make or break one's work life, regardless of the presence of quality systems or ethics. I know of clinically excellent ethical dentists who do good treatment, but who I find to be a nightmare to work with day after day. So there needs to be a point of really good fit for you where you can have a laugh and feel like you belong to something bigger than just you and where your contribution adds to the life of the practice. It's this that determines whether you finish every workday with a smile or a frown. And it helps determine whether you stay at a practice or decide to move on. Yeah, that's great advice, Simon. Thank you so much for that helpful content. And thank you all for listening. We do hope this podcast was helpful to you and we look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protection Podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.